It seems that no matter where you look, there's pop culture news flying around everywhere. But how can you keep up so you're ready to roll when a new episode of the Popcast comes out? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was one place where you could go to get all the news you want? Then boy do I have good news for you, because Flipboard is here to help. Flipboard curates the world's stories so you can be smarter in your work, life, and play. Choose from thousands of topics to personalize Flipboard, and get the latest stories from the best publishers and experts delivered to you 24-7. Used by millions of people every day, Flipboard is how people move themselves and the world forward. Get started now at Flipboard.com. That's Flipboard.com. This is episode 30 of the Popcast. Hello, welcome to the Popcast, the pop culture podcast from Vernacular. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. Each week, we'll dive into the latest in pop culture with our three regular segments. First, the snack bag, where we cover some smaller stories from the past week. Second, the marquee topic, where we dive in depth into one pop culture story or event. And third, the teasers, where we give our suggestions for pop culture content you might have missed, but should definitely check out. Hi, honey. How are you? I'm doing well. We had our first real snow of the season. Yes, it was delightful. Except it did happen on a Sunday, which is kind of a bumsky because you always want it to be on a work day, but they closed work. On Monday, yeah. Anyway. So it was work from home anyway. Yeah, we got about 10 inches of snow, which was about four to five inches more than we kept hearing all weekend leading up to the big snow event. And we got to spend a lot of fun time in the snow with our little son, who thought it was hilarious and loved sledding, and we built a snowman. Our only real parent fail is that we don't have proper gloves for him. We just have, like, cotton gloves. I had a I had a parent fail when what? I was trying to pull him in the sled. Oh, yeah. So he was buckled into his little sled, and I tried to pull him down a hill that was not... that didn't really... It wasn't really a track yet. You know how you can make a track out of the snow by going over it and over it to make it, you know, smoother? Well, anyway, I was trying to pull through this it thick snow. It was fresh snow. powder. Yeah. And C- Caleb's sled flipped over. and He's buckled into he's it. He's buckled in, yeah. so he couldn't get out. And his face, his whole head was just <laughs> straight in the snow. He, he was didn't, laughing. Yeah, though. he was laughing, but I was I felt really bad. So, but that was that was it. Otherwise, we did pretty well. Yeah, it was fun. Before we get into the snack bag for this week, I just wanted to say, if this podcast is something you enjoy, we would love it if you would share it with someone who you think might enjoy it too. We're trying to get our listenership up, and I think the best way for us to do that is for the people who enjoy and listen to our show to pass it along to someone else. So if you have one person out there who you think might enjoy our show, who likes pop culture, or who just wants to be entertained for 30 minutes every week, please go ahead and pass our show along. We would greatly appreciate it. Spark notes, follow us, subscribe to us, leave us a comment, and tell one person about our show. Thanks. Yeah, that was much more succinct. Should we jump into the snack bag? Uh, yeah, let's do it. The first snack bag topic this week, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, who I find dreamy. Okay, well, that was unprompted. I'm sorry. There's nothing to prompt. He's he's totally dreamy. So he was on Parks and Rec, and he was kind of like... Schlubby. Schlubby, yeah. That's a great word. He was a little overweight and just kind of schlubby. And his character was, too. And then he got cast in Jurassic Park. Oh, no, that wasn't it. It was Guardians of the Galaxy. Is that the first one that made him slim down? Josh is nodding yes. So he basically, like, turned into a superhero and got really buff. And he also made some really hilarious Instagram videos along the way about what he was allowed to eat because he was on a very strict eating program. That was during Jurassic Park days. 
what's my snack? Check it out on Instagram. Hashtag what's my snack. So the news about Chris Pratt is that he was previously married to Anna Ferris. They separated last year or two years ago in, in 2017. And now he is engaged again to Katherine Schwarzenegger. If that na- last name sounds familiar, it's because her dad He'll be back. is Arnold. So would it be weird to have Arnold Schwarzenegger as your father-in-law? Yeah. I mean, the Terminator is your father-in-law. Also because that accent. I mean, like, it's been it's, it's been done so many. It's been impersonated by so many people. Would it be hard not to impersonate your father-in-law every time you spoke with him? Yeah, I would just be impersonating him all the time. Maybe Chris Pratt will become even more jacked now that he... He could play Arnold in a biopic. No, that'd be weird. He looks nothing like him. Oh, that's okay. They could make up. They make up. That's true. You think they? You think he would do it? Well, look at Vice. Look at Vice. Christian Bale transformed to Dick Cheney. Chris Pratt can transform to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I think if Arnold Schwarzenegger was my father-in-law, I would just do impersonations of him all the time. I think you're saying it wrong. Schwarzenegger? You're saying, you said Schwarzenegger like a million times. It's because I... I think it's Schwarzenegger. Yeah, because I can't really say Schwartz without sort of having like a lisp thing go on. I don't hear it. Yeah, a little bit. Like Schwarzenegger? Is that right? Schwarzenegger? Yeah, that was fine. It's like... Schwartz. That's the the sound. I know, but the Schwartz... So I say Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Everyone, wherever you're listening to this, if you're driving right now, if you're on the metro, we don't care. Just say, she said Schwarzenegger. (laughs) I don't think I could say that. Try. She said Schwarzenegger. On your first try. Except you you went really weird with the end. I went British. I went British there at the end. Well, anyway, I think I would do nonstop impersonations of him if he was my father-in-law. Me too. Our what's next, our next? Well, honey, I was going to tell well, you. No, but I was going to ask. Honey, what's our next snack bag topic? So earlier this week was the Critics' Choice Awards, which is another one in the gauntlet of award shows that happen this time of year. Maureen and I did not tune in to much of the show, but we did tune in to enough to know. It was bad. It is one of the most awkward things ever we i looked over and josh had turned it on i think i was in the kitchen like unloading the dishwasher or something and i was like josh what are you watching and he was like i think your exact words anywhere oh it's the critics choice awards and it looks to be poorly produced it does look i mean first of all everybody in the room looks wildly uncomfortable to be there it's as if they they feel like they have to be there. They're obligated to stay on the award circuit all the way marching to the Oscars. But everybody looks uncomfortable. And then the presenters for this award we watched, which was Best Ensemble in a Movie, which ultimately went to the favorite, the presenters didn't even seem to know what was going on. But it also looked like Blair Witch photo. Like it, like the, the videography work was literally like... It was shaky. It was so weird. They couldn't figure out... It was getting bad angles. It looked kind of like home movie-ish. It was on the CW. So I've watched a lot of great shows on the CW. Either way, we didn't watch. But the thing that I wanted to say about the Critics' Choice Awards is that last year, the Critics' Choice Awards correctly predicted 16 of the 18 categories that are the same at the Oscars, including all of the major categories. So it will be interesting to see if this is sort of a prediction of what is to come for the Oscars. And tell everybody what the twist was. The twist was is that there was a tie. A tie. A tie in the a best tie. actress category. Ooh. Glenn Close for The Wife tied with Lady Gaga for A Star is Born. So I think at this point the race is on. Yeah. 
who's going to win the Oscar. And is I it think, already determined? I think the voting closed on January 14th. So the so voting, voting for the closed. Oscars is over. Okay. But the, so we will, we have the nominees set. We don't know them yet, but the voting on the winners has not happened yet. So that will happen once the nominees are announced. Oh, they haven't voted on the winners yet. No. So they, they vote on the nominees first. And then once the nominees are done and revealed, then the voting body goes back in and votes for a winner. Interesting. I would think that whoever get like the top five people would be listed as nominees, but whoever got the most votes just gets to be the winner. No, that's not how it works. Interesting. So we don't know. So there is no winner yet at the Oscars, but there are nominees. We just don't know what they are yet. Well, I'm pulling for Gaga. Aren't we all? Yeah. I think Glenn Close is going to win, though. She's 71. She's been nominated she's six 71. times. She's 71. She's amazing looking. Yeah. She's been nominated six I times. I mean, she's an amazing performer, too, but the, if I can look that beautiful at 71... I and she's be... a graduate of William and Mary, where I went. So I did know that. I have to be excited about that. Should we move on to our marquee topic? Let's do it. So Maureen and I got a chance to see the film Green Book, and there's been so much about this film written in the past couple of months that I thought it it deserves its own marquee topic. So the film was directed by Peter Farrelly, Peter Farrelly of the Farrelly Brothers, who directed Dumb and Dumber, who directed There's Something About Mary. It was written by Farrelly, Brian Curry, and Nick Vallelonga, and starring Viggo Mortensen as Tony Vallelonga, an uneducated Italian man, and Mahershala Ali as Dr. Ron Shirley, a well-educated genius of a musician who also knew something like eight languages. So if the name Vallelonga sounds familiar, it's because Nick, one of the writers of the film, is the real-life son of Tony, who is the main character in the film. The basic story is that the two came together in 1962 when Tony was hired by Dr. Shirley to drive him through the South as he performs on a concert tour. And you learn that really it's more than a chauffeur role for Tony. It's more of sort of a bodyguard role for him because Dr. Shirley is black and going into the South was not always safe for black men or black women at the time. So the film is named for a real book that black Americans used when they traveled on vacation to find places that were hospitable to black people at the time. So the book was used by black families when they traveled and it showed them where they could stay and where they could eat. So the movie won three Golden Globes, including Best Supporting Actor for Mahershala Ali, Best Screenplay for Fairly Curry and Vallelonga, and Best Film, Musical or Comedy, and has been nominated for a slew of other prestigious awards on its way to certain Oscar nominations at this point. But, as I mentioned before, the film has been surrounded by controversy. I want to talk about this in three segments. Before we talk about any of the controversial things, I just want to discuss a little bit about what we felt about the film overall. So, Maureen, tell me what you thought of the film, the acting, the story, overall. So, I went into the film not knowing anything about it other than having seen the previews in front of other movies or on TV. So, I was kind of coming at it completely uneducated about the story or the controversy or the real people. I was just coming at it from, oh, this looks like a movie that I would really like. And I did. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very, I want to say a feel-good film, but I know that obviously there was a lot of racism that they confronted and they showed a couple of hard scenes where Dr. Shirley was being mistreated. Um, But at the heart of the film was this like, you know, brotherly love friendship that developed between Tony and Dr. Shirley. And I really liked that. I think overall I liked the film. I don't know that I understand exactly why it's getting so many awards. I think Mahershala Ali's 
Best Supporting Actor Award was well-deserved at the Golden Globes. He was amazing to me. I also think Viggo Mortensen was amazing. But in terms of, like, the direction and the screenplay, I think that it seemed a little softened to me, which is probably why I liked it, because I tend to like movies that are not It's hard for me to watch movies where real people do bad things that happen in the world. And this is a perfect example of that, where real people were doing bad things. And this was an example of a hard time. And in many ways, it still is like this in in some places, which is really saddening. But I didn't walk out of the film feeling like depressed about racism in our country. I walked out of the film feeling happy because these two men were such good friends. So I really enjoyed it from a personal perspective, but I think my critique of the film is they maybe softened it a little too much and made it into a little too much of a comedy. I have to agree that I just don't think it's worthy of all of the major awards it's getting. It just doesn't, it's definitely not the best movie that came out last year that we've seen. I think the two acting performances though acting, were exceptional. Yeah, acting aside, I'm talking about the film overall. I just don't think that it was the greatest thing that we saw last year. So it's weird to me that it's consistently talked about as one of the best movies of 2018. I think to your point, Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali were really good. They gave really vibrant performances and both of them are deserving of all of the accolades that they're getting for their roles in the film. I think the other thing that you pointed out about them softening the story was really interesting because what one of the things that I read about the movie is that most of the controversial things happen off screen. There there are a couple scenes where the character of Dr. Shirley is mistreated by white people in the South, but you never see really what leads up to that. You just see sort of the tail end of it. And and you really don't see So for example, this isn't a spoiler, but he gets beat up on several occasions in the film and you never see the fights you always see somebody walking in after the fight and he has bruises which again as a viewer i much prefer but i do think it it softens the blow of what an awful thing this was there's also you know this idea that discusses his sexuality but again that's something that's dealt with almost entirely off screen and you only see the very latter part of that so it it's almost strange. It's almost like they were trying to be really non-offensive about certain things. Similar to some of the critiques that Bohemian Rhapsody has gotten. Right. And 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 I think that this is something that we'll get into when we talk about some of the controversies surrounding the film. But does that matter? And is it important to show that, that, that type of thing? So overall, I would give the movie a B, B minus. Maureen, your grade. I'd probably go B plus, A minus. B plus, because you enjoyed it. Yes, I very it's, much enjoyed it. It's an enjoyable it. film to watch. I mean, there's I think a- had they gone harder with it and more realistic, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. I think it would have been truer to the story, but it would have been harder, again, just because of me as a viewer, people hurting other people is hard for me to watch. So I, re- I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the controversy surrounding the film, because I think this is the most interesting piece about the film overall. So I want to break this into two pieces. The first is controversy surrounding the actual film and then the second piece controversy surrounding the people involved with the film the first piece is about the actual film itself there there's a couple sub things that we should discuss here the first is that right after the movie came out members of dr shirley's family came out and said that the portrayal of him in the film is totally inaccurate and that they were not consulted at all for the making of the film And they said that it's not true that he had a real friendship with Tony Vallelonga. 
and that he didn't really have a strained relationship with his family as it's portrayed in the movie. They say that this idea that Dr. Shirley was removed from from black culture was inaccurate, that he was friends with Dr. Martin Luther King, that he was at the Selma March, that he was tapped into the civil rights movement in a way that they present he's not in the film. I think the thing that I wanted to talk about with you, Maureen, is what do you think about the idea of artistic license when telling a true story? As you're saying this, I'm kind of surprised that the family wasn't consulted. But what immediately came to my mind is the fact that part of the screenplay was written by Tony Vallelonga's son. So of course, it may lean more towards being accurate about Tony's character. And Dr. Shirley's character may have been painted as Tony saw him and and relate it to his son who's writing it. But I would think that if his family was still alive, they would have consulted them. But again, that's kind of one of those he said, she said things and that if Dr. Shirley really was estranged from his family and communicated that to Tony, whose son then wrote it down, his son might think, well, I'm not going to go to the family. He wasn't close to them. The, the, the thing that I read about this idea of artistic license when you're telling a true story is that it's okay. I think most people are okay with you changing plot points to fit a dramatic narrative. We talked a little bit about this with Bohemian Rhapsody. They they change things around in the film to make it more interesting for the viewer. They made it you know more dramatic for the the audience. And I think that's okay to a point, but the the interesting thing that I saw written about this is that you can do that except to the point of disparaging a character or or disparaging a person. So if you go so far to change the story so as to make it seem like one character is different than they actually were in real life, then that's where you start to have problems. But what if the character what if like you were portraying someone and they thought that you portrayed them differently than they were in real life. Like, that's what I'm thinking is, like, it's all about perception. And your perception of yourself may be very different than the world sees you. Like, I'm thinking about all these Steve Jobs movies or, you know, ones where people are estranged from families or children or not portrayed as a good parent. I mean, like, they may have thought they were doing a good job, but someone else may not have. I think it's interesting that you bring that up because this idea of, of memory is so flawed. Everybody has a different, despite people being present at the same event, they would have entirely different memories of how things actually happened. And so I think to your point, maybe they thought they were portraying it accurately when really they weren't. But that sort of leads to another problem that was first sort of coined by Spike Lee. And it's this idea of the quote, magical Negro, end quote. And the idea behind this is that the black person in a story only serves the purpose to further the white person's salvation. In the instance of Green Book, the character of Tony Vallelonga has this very clear character arc. He starts as a very racist, unaccepting person. And as he has his time with Dr. Shirley while they're on the road in the South. He has this transformation. And by the end, he tells his whole family, look, we shouldn't call, you know, black people names. We shouldn't treat them differently. So he has this full character arc, whereas Dr. Shirley starts as sort of this, how they portray him as a sort of, you know, he's a, he's someone who lives on his own, who lives, he looks, he's, he's kind aloof, of, he, he's wealthy, he's very, educated. he's lonely, but he's lonely and yeah. he, he's sad, but they never really get into that. And so, Dr. Shirley at the beginning of the film is very much the same as Dr. Shirley at the end of the film. But again, is this because the main Tony Vallelonga's son wrote this? Like, is that because this isn't like a biopic about 
Dr. Shirley. It's the story of Tony Vallelonga. Now, I agree with you. Like, I think Dr. Shirley could have had his own arc and they could have changed each other. But is that because of who's writing the story? I think that is absolutely true. I think that it is clearly presented as Tony Vallelonga's story. I mean, I think there's no real denying the fact that he's the main character and that Dr. Shirley in this story is a supporting character. That leads to the next piece. Sorry, before you lead us into the next piece, if the story was about Dr. Shirley, it might have been a totally different movie about him and about what, because there was a couple of times where he's a member of a trio. He has two bandmates that play with him and they both say like he requested this tour. He wanted to go down south. He wanted to like look people who were racist in the eye and like be a better person and, you know, kind of confront that racism. And they they kind of allude to those themes, but they don't really explore them. It might have been a better movie if they had really focused on Dr. Shirley's transformation. Well, just a character arc for him. Yeah. One what, of he, thing- what he learned about himself going through that process. One or- of the things that I would encourage our listeners to read is, and I'll link it in the show notes, is this op-ed that was written by basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he wrote a piece about how it's basically in defense of this film. And he talks a lot about this idea of the magical Negro trope and whether that is present in this film or even if it is, whether it even matters. So I'm not going to try to paraphrase what he said about that because I, I don't want to I don't want to mess up what he said. But I'd encourage you to read what he says about that because he provides a, an interesting counter argument to this idea that Dr. Shirley in Green Book is Tony Vallelonga's magical Negro. That does lead into this next idea, which is that this story was written and directed by three white men and produced by white men. It was executive produced by Octavia Spencer. So she was involved. She's a very famous and talented black woman. But other than that, I mean, if you watch the Golden Globes when they won Best Musical or Comedy, the stage was pretty full of white faces. And I think this idea of should white people be able to tell a story about racism is that is that a good thing? And I did jot down a quote from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's article that addresses this. And he said, quote, Artistically, it shouldn't make a difference. A good artist must be able to recreate characters who are different than themselves, end quote. What do you think of this idea? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think that in this case, what's sticking out to me, I keep coming back to the fact that this is Tony's story. And it's not like a bunch of white men telling a story about only black men. I don't know. This is a hard one for me. It's not something that I've had to deal with personally in my life. So I think that, again, if it's done tastefully and with good intentions, but I still think, like, I don't know why necessarily his family wasn't consulted. I think that's interesting, something I hadn't really thought about, that, you know, there's, in this internet culture, Everybody has an opinion about everything. Obviously, we're doing an entire podcast about this, so we're even talking about it. This idea that did they approach it with good intentions, that should count for something. You know, did did they... I don't think that they went out to purposefully make a film where the black character was only in support of the white character, even if that's how it turned out. No, and he was... I mean... I would say, not knowing any of these people, that I think they did go into it with good intentions. To show a story about someone who was racist encountering someone, you know, who they previously would not have accepted and being 
changed because that person was so good and so patient and and had so much value as a human and the and the racist person realizing that i think also that whether or not dr shirley was portrayed accurately i don't know but i think that he was portrayed kindly and favorably and he was not mocked the film does not mock him in any way like he is someone who as a viewer you love and respect and admire and even in some of his you know difficult scenes where he's you know feeling lonely or in the one very brief scene where they do kind of talk about his sexuality they do it in a way that's respectful to him in the film I thought I thought the film was I don't know if I'm saying this right but it was done tastefully in a way that you as an audience member were championing him yeah that makes sense i think that one of the things about this idea of whether peter Farrelly should have taken on this story is how he accepted the award for best musical or comedy at the golden globes he said in his speech you know speaking about racism after he told the orchestra to stop playing he had to have this you know this is something he wrote down and wanted to say and he said Quote, all we have to do is talk and not judge people by their differences, but to look for what we have in common, end quote. A lot of the stuff that I read written about that after the fact was that it's just a little tone deaf because he's talking about a very specific kind of racism. He's talking about overt racism where, you know, a white person would say directly to a black person disparaging comments or have but that still happens it like, does I still think happen it's worth him saying maybe it doesn't solve the whole problem but it's a step and there's still people in this world who need to hear that i certainly agree with that and i definitely think that's true i just think that to have someone up on stage you know try to make these comments about how it it, it the way that it came off was that he almost sounded as if he could he was solving the problem of racism. I'm sure that's not what he intended. Right, but that's what it sounded like. And the real problem of racism in the United States, and after having talked with a couple people who deal with this type of a thing, is is institutional racism. So the idea that black people can't get jobs or they can't they can't get the same treatment as a white person. And it's not something that's overt. It's not they, they go into a store and they say, we're not going to serve you because you're black. It's just something that's been built into the culture of the United States. Yeah, I, I hear you. I'm just not sure what he could have said that was better in like 12 seconds. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think that this was all his fault. It's more that I feel I th- like no matter what he said, probably people were going to. Well, I think that the bigger issue is that people had with this is that he was given the platform by recognizing the film as this best film that he was given a platform to speak about this. I don't know. I, I don't. I tend to think that it's really not his place to try to talk about solving racism. But I don't disagree with you that him saying something positive is a bad, you know, it's not right. a bad thing. Maybe it's just a drop of water in the ocean, but at least it's a positive one. I don't know. That's really, it's really tricky. Now that we've talked a little bit about the controversy that was in the actual film, I want to end this by talking about some of the controversy surrounding the filming and ask you if you think that this is going to have any bearing on the award season as we continue. So there were three distinct things that have happened over the last month or so with regards to the people involved with the film. So the first is that during a panel discussion, Viggo Mortensen in describing how people spoke during this time, used the N-word. And it wasn't used in a derogatory way, but he still used it. And apparently 
when it happened in the room, it was sort of like the breath was taken out of the room. People were shocked that he said it. The second thing was that just last week, these reports that Peter Farrelly in the late 90s used to expose himself to people. What? That is so creepy. On set. And it's it sounds like he did it upwards of 500 times in like front of- Like as a joke? As a joke, or what he thought was a joke, and that he thought it was no big deal. In 2019, it's a little uh, hard to hear because of the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement. Like he was doing it like in front of many people, like as a big joke. Yeah, yeah, but even still, but, yeah, it's that, so the reports that weird. he did it, it was covered in 1998 when it first came about, but then was buried and again came back up again. And then the last thing was that co-writer Nick Vallelonga had a tweet unsurfaced. I feel like we've talked about this so many times on the the podcast about people's old tweets coming up, but. In 2015, he responded to a tweet that now President Donald Trump sent that said, there's this, there's this whole um, conspiracy theory that when 9-11 happened, that in New Jersey, there was a group of Muslims that were cheering when the towers fell. And Nick Vallelonga tweeted that, yep, that's true. I saw it happen. Despite the fact that this didn't really happen, numerous news outlets have debunked this conspiracy theory. So basically, all that is to say, there's been a lot of like turmoil with regards to the people involved in the film. Do you think that this will have a bearing or should it have a bearing on their awards chances as they move forward? I think that it probably will have a bearing. I don't know if it should or should not. I think it has a bearing on whether they're unlike their own personal characters. I was going to say whether they're good people or not, but that is not something that I can define. I think it shows their character all three have since apologized yeah. for these things i think that it brings up a really good question which i don't know if either of us have the answer to which is everybody has their skeletons in the closet when you look back in their past everybody it could be big and it could be small but everybody has something and i think that it's widely accepted that most people can change and do change over time and so it's just interesting, do we take it, when they when they come out and apologize, do we take it that they're apologizing because they're actually sorry, or whether they're apologizing because they know that it will help them in an awards race, or because they think they have to because their publicist said something? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. But I think that my opinion is that it will affect their awards chances, but I don't necessarily know if it should. It depends on the situation, of course. Well, because best director is not like best person award. It's lit. It's it's. Well, it's this whole. It go. It's like an age old question. Yeah. Should the art be separated from the artist? And it's interesting because I think that people are not consistent with how they with how they answer that are, question. Are there? I'm sure that there are. Can you think of right now off the top of our heads an example of like? Someone in any medium whose art was fantastic, but they were like a horrible, horrible person. The bottom line is that there are probably plenty of artists in every different medium of art that are not great people, but produce good art. And I don't know. I think that it would be hard to enjoy anything if you said, I'm not going to support any art that comes from someone who's done something wrong in the past. I think you would not watch any tv you wouldn't watch any movies you wouldn't listen to any music i think that's the bottom line i don't know where the line is and i'm certainly not qualified to say what i think the line is but that's just my opinion it's also 
there are some things that I think we can all agree are clearly right and clearly wrong, but then there's a whole bunch of gray area where everyone's moral compass kicks in for themselves. Yeah, it's really, really tricky. I think we can wrap this up by saying... Be better people, everyone. Be kind to each other. Yeah, be better people. But go see Green Book yourself and and come to your own conclusion. And, and I really enjoyed the movie. Controversy aside, because I knew none of this when we saw it. Yeah, and I think talk with people about their personal experiences. Talk with a diverse group of people about their experiences and ask them what they think talk of the film. Talk with someone totally different from yourself. Just one other person. Yeah, and see what they think of the film and have a conversation and see if you can come to your own conclusion about the film. Maureen, should we move on to teasers? That was deep. Yeah, this was emotional. In in all I just fairness, feel like I, I made no the answers. outline for this this podcast episode and Maureen said, "Look, I just let's just chat when we get on there. You know, I want I want to sort of react to what you say you're saying." So, I don't know if she knew what she was getting into. No, it was kind of sad. Humanity. Well, let's, let's I just do... want humanity to be better. Yeah, me too. Let's do teasers cuz you have a fun teaser. Yeah. Maureen Hit me with your teaser. So my teaser is a Netflix show, Friends from College, which I think we've talked about before on the podcast, but they just released season two, which is now streaming. And this show is about a whole bunch of bad people, probably pretty unarguably. They cheat on each other and... They're not super nice to each other. Yeah, they kind of (laughs) misuse each other. But it's a comedy and it is basically a whole bunch of kind of awful real life situations like cheating on your spouse with someone else and they make it really 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 funny the timing the comedic timing of this i think is just impeccable it's an ensemble of six actors and they all i mean everyone brings their a-game you guys should watch it it's very fun a little i want to say sardonic is that the right word i don't know what that word means so sure guys i'm gonna have to look that up and see if i'm using it right but yeah it's like a dark comedy but very funny check it out and MVP actor Keegan-Michael Key. He's great on the show. And one of the worst characters, probably. Yeah. My teaser for this week is another show on Netflix that was actually a BBC show as well. It is one of the most popular British shows ever, and it is called Bodyguard. It stars Richard Madden and Keely Hawes. It was originally produced for the BBC, then aired on Netflix, and it's a tense thriller. It's really interesting I I don't want to give too much away here because it is sort of like a mystery, but I encourage you to watch it. It's only six episodes. It's entirely bingeable. So go ahead and check it out. It's on Netflix. I think that will do it for this week. Thanks for listening. You can leave us feedback, comments, or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash popcast. We would love to hear from you and would especially love to hear what you want to hear about on the show. You can also reach us by emailing thepopcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We put out a new one every Friday, and if it's not too much trouble, please drop us a rating or a review. It helps other people find our show. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. Guys, sardonic I used correctly. Great job, me. SAT prep coming in handy. Sardonic is an adjective. It means grimly mocking or cynical. Good for you, Maureen. Thank you. I feel proud.